All right, everybody needs a cup because I want you to keep this cup. I want you to, uh, I hope you hear the message behind this cup. I want you to uh, keep this cup to your rear view mirror. Maybe you can even like make a necklace and make it a cup bling, you know, right here. Something, keep it so you'll be reminded as to what it stands for. So in this, let me ask you a question. This cup, what it can hold in relation to the ocean. What can you say about that? Tiny, what can you say about it? I'm going to pick on you back here. This cup, the amount of liquid that it can hold compared to the ocean. How can you even, what would you, how would you, how would you just compare that? The, the cup, right. All right. Anybody want to elaborate on what he said? What's the, the cup, what, what can you say? Help me out. Keep helping me out of what you can say about the cup. So he's saying the cup is like zero, 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 zero point, you know, whatever compared to how much the ocean can hold, right? It's tiny. That's why I asked you, bro. I thought you were going to go with your name. It's tiny. Compared to the ocean, this cup is tiny. And, and compared to all the oceans of the world, this cup is tiny. So let me ask you a question. If you were to have a container that would hold suffering and a container that would hold blessings, how many of you would love to have this container be the one that holds the blessings and the one in the, in the ocean out there be the one that holds the suffering? How many of y'all would like to have that? Any masochists in here? No? Oh, good. How many of you would love to have your suffering be the size of this cup? How many of y'all would love to have your suffering be? Some of y'all are like, I don't want a cup. No, you don't get that. You get a cup. Everybody gets a cup. You come to this world with a cup. And what you do with it with Christ can make a difference in what happens in this cup. But how many of y'all would like your sufferings to be the size of this cup and your blessings be the size of the ocean? Anyone? As a believer in Christ, that's what you have. And that's where we're at in the book of Romans right now. Modern theology, man, wants to talk about today, often non-biblical theology wants to even eliminate suffering. Man, how many of y'all can literally eliminate suffering? How many of you can say, I have never had any suffering in my life, and I won't have any suffering today, and I won't have any tomorrow? How many of y'all be willing to say that? No. You're like, dude, about a half hour into this, my rear end's going to be suffering unless you let me stand up, right? But anyways... There's suffering in this world. God allows this suffering in this world. And there's good that comes out of it as a believer. We'll talk a little bit about that. But what the point is in Romans right now is that your suffering is the size of this cup. And if you handle this suffering in the way Christ wants you to handle it and bring a sweet savor to him through this suffering, man, man, you, you, your, your blessings far outweigh the suffering. Future glory, regardless, if you're a believer, future glory far outweighs the present suffering for Christ. That's what I wrote up here. Future glory far outweighs the present suffering for Christ. I want you to remember, everybody help me out with that. I hate when people, how yeah, I many of y'all hate when they're like, okay, repeat after me. Everybody say this. Or uh, how about when they turn to your neighbor? And, no, uh, but repeat. Listen, this is important. Everybody help me out. Future glory. Y'all know what future glory is? When does future glory happen, Gary? Later in a minute. <laughs> You're planning on going somewhere? I'm just saying. <laughs> what a great place to go, man. <laughs> I mean, right here. Future glory. All right, so we have future glory. Look at this next part. Far outweighs. Far outweighs. There's no comparison. You got a tiny cup and you got a giant ocean. So the future glory like the ocean far outweighs any and all suffering that we will have for Christ. There will be suffering for Christ in this world. And we talked a lot about that, a little bit about that last week. We talked a little bit about it this week, but we're going to be looking at how everything is groaning for glory, waiting for the glory because Everything, even creation, knows future glory far outweighs the present suffering for Christ. Romans 8, 18 is where we're going to start. Uh, in the ASV, that's where I'm at. Use the translation you like in all of that. Oh, hey, Steve, can you make sure these folks right here who came in late get a cup? Andy and Kevin. <laughs> that's all right, man. Y'all got all them kids to get ready for church. I get it, man. I'm just glad you're here. All right, so look at the very beginning in this. Uh, we grow up, uh, we, we saw, looked at this verse last week, for I consider, Paul says, and if he was in the South, I think the King James says, for I reckon. And y'all know what reckon means? Hey, you, you grew up in Tallahassee. That's really the South. You guys know the further South you go in Florida, the further North you go. 
You do know that, right? So you're from Tallahassee, all right? So that's as south as Florida gets, right? What does reckon mean? For I reckon. I reckon. Oh, he's going like this. Uh, why are you doing that? What does that have to do with reckoning? Yeah, reckoning isn't just a fly off the cuff. Oh, I reckon this. No, dude, you've thought about it. You've calculated. In fact, this term of reckoning means I've actually done an accounting of it. I have literally done the run the numbers. Anybody run the numbers on anything? Yeah, I have run the numbers. I have looked at the result. I have studied everything there is to study about this subject. So he says, I reckon. I'm not making this off the hand guess. I'm not just wishful thinking. I have done the research. And where would Paul have gotten the research about suffering? Where would he have gotten it? Yeah, his life. <laughs> no church would hire him off his resume, right? I'm just saying from his life, he would have gotten it from his walk with Christ. As, as he sold out, we talked last week about the whole fish and chicken thing, how Christ was the ultimate fish. He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's an oily mullet. There is nothing fishier than Christ as far as fish smelling. He was 100% God. But this world loves chicken, right? And so it's a Chick-fil-A chicken world. And, and can you imagine, how many of y'all go to Chick-fil-A? Let me see your hands. You can like, how many of y'all are addicted to Chick-fil-A? Uh, there's some hands that will be proudly up, right? Hey, hey, so if you opened up your, what do they call those chicken nuggets? Or, you know, where they press all the meat together, put it in, cover it with something, and then they sell it to you. Like, yeah. Man, when you open that up, if you got a nugget in there, you went to go, I mean, this is probably you. I mean, when you actually get the box, they give it, are you like salivating like Pavlov's dog? Do you even know who Pavlov's dog is? Yeah, you're sal. You're like, oh, I cannot wait for the holy grail of chicken pressed chicken meat. <laughs> oh man, and, and oh no, it's really tenderloin. Yeah, you just keep believing that, All right? But anyways, so you grab it, and, and are you savoring? I mean, can you not wait for it to touch? Do you even smell it when it opens in the box? Yeah. What do you think? What what happens when you smell it? Oh, you think you're about to be really happy. What happened? And, and, and are you really happy? Yeah, temporarily, because that's all last. You open the box, you, and can you imagine if the first smell you got was fish? What would, what would happen to your demeanor? How many of y'all Chick-fil-A, first, first smell you got was fish? How many of y'all be like, oh, yeah, baby, I hit the jackpot today? I know, not at Chick-fil-A. McDonald's, no, I'm even joking there. I don't even know what their fish filet is, but, but yeah. It would be, no, this is chick. This is not a good smell. Is, is fish a good smell coming out of your Chick-fil-A box? No, something's wrong. And the world is a Chick-fil-A box. The world wants to smell chicken because everybody likes chicken. People spend all kinds of money to have expensive boats, Bill Cooper, not that you do right now, but I'm just saying, don't people spend big money to go offshore to catch fish that taste like what? Chicken. When you used to be able to get it for a dollar a pound, I'm just saying, it's like everybody likes chicken. It's neutral. It's, it's not offensive. How many of you are totally offended by fish? How many are like, dude, I'm going to gag if I smell fish? Okay, good. There are people. My wife's back there. She's exactly that. And, and all of that. And so again, I'm, I talked about this before, but I, I want to make a point in this is that, is that, the, that Christ is so contrary to this world. This world's a Chick-fil-A pressed chicken nugget world. And when come in and start smelling like fish, what does the world think? Is the world like, ooh, man, that's a good flavor. No, Christ came and smelled like fish, and what did they do to him? They killed him. They killed him. There was no compromise. He didn't smell anything like chicken. He smelled like fish to this world, and it is promised to us in Scripture that if you live godly, you will be what? What's the P word? You will be. No ifs, ands, or buts. So could you see how Christianity that's not, somebody who's not really totally sold out to Christ could try to start compromising and trying to make a form of Christianity that smells a little bit like chicken, a little bit like fish? But who's satisfied with that? Hey, if you're Chick-fil-A box, man, if it only smelled a little, all right, you, you smell chicken and you were like, oh, I'm about to be happy. But as you brought it closer to your nose, you're like, hmm, I smell a little bit of fish in that. You know, would you bite it? Go with my illustration. Quit messing up my message, all right? But no, no, fish nuggets are good, but you're expecting chicken. If your chicken even, as you brought it, it just smelled a little like fish. What if you took a bite of it and you're like, hmm, hmm, 
that smells a little, that tastes a little like fish. What do you think, Selma? Dude, I'm not happy. And I, are you going to finish the box anyways? I'll dip it in enough Chick-fil-A sauce where it won't even matter. No, nobody's happy. But that's what the world tries to come up with, with a Christian compromise. You see, as a believer, we smell the more you get closer to Christ, the more you smell like just a, a big, greasy kingfish, man, or a mullet, dude. You're you're the fishiest fish there is. And who does that always smell good to? God, God, the world hates it. And other believers, I don't know what you just said. Other fish, other people who are trying to smell like fish. You know, how many of y'all came to church today and, you know, you, you smell like chicken and then you said, well, I better put on some kingfish cologne today. So I look a little Christian today as I go to church. I don't know, none of y'all do, but I'm telling you people at other churches do. They put on a little, little fish smell, say, oh, bless you, my brother, <laughs> you know, no. Again, but for people who are trying to smell like fish, you're attractive to them. Guys and girls, if you're not married and you have a desire to be married and you want to marry a fish, what do you think he should be smelling like? A fish. The more you look like Christ, the sooner you're going to find somebody who wants the exact same thing. But the world finds offense to it. So there's going to be suffering. That's what he tells us in here. But Paul says, don't worry about it. He said, the suffering, I reckon, I have thought it out. I've done the bookkeeping. I have checked all the records from the scriptures. And Paul had the entire Old Testament. Was there any suffering in the Old Testament? Yes. Was there suffering in Paul's own life? Yes. He said, I have run the numbers and that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth what? Comparing with the glory to be revealed in us. The suffering, Tom, the suffering, all the suffering. You take all the worst suffering you would have of anybody in a lifetime and put it in this cup. Is that even comparable to all the water in the ocean? That's what the word of God says. You're like, oh, but pastor, you don't know the suffering I got. You don't know my suffering. You don't know who I'm married to. No, I'm just not. You don't know who, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know who my boss is. You don't know, you don't. No, I don't have to know. All I have to know is I have to know what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says, your suffering, however great it is, is no bigger than this little thimble cup. It's no bigger than this little thimble cup. And the blessings, the eternal glory that will be revealed in you and through you and to you forever is not even comparable to how much salt water is in the sea. Amen? Isn't that awesome? That's why I want you to keep this cup. Whenever you're suffering... Find snowbird traffic. No, I'm just like, whenever you're suffering, really suffer. And again, even if it's suffering you bring on, God's allowed it to come in your life for your good and for His glory. God can work through it all in many different ways. There's so many purposes when you read about suffering in Scripture. One of the things, how many of y'all are, are tired of this body? Back in the day, you thought, whoo, I could live for a long time in this body, but how many of y'all get older like, dang, I want a new one? Anybody here want a new one? Yeah, yeah, that's suffering, right? That, and, and so, again, is it like, oh my goodness, walking like Fred Sanford all over the place? Man, it's like, it's supposed to not make me fall in love with this place. When we see the suffering that's going on in here, we know that we have a perfect home and a perfect place forever, and we're going to be perfect which is pretty phenomenal. And, and, and so we can put up with this little bit of suffering. And in fact, as we got, who puts, who allows this suffering to come into our life, by the way? God does. Yeah, and it's for his glory and our good. And the good that comes, comes out of it is we know that all things work together for God, uh, for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And it's to make us more like him. You read the second, verse 29 of that famous verse, you guys have crocheted on your pillows. Read the second verse. It's to become more like Christ. And when you become more like Christ, God gets the glory out of that. So he says, man, I have considered, I've done the paperwork, I have run the numbers, and the sufferings of this present time are like this little, little cup right here. And they are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. What's a word that sounds like revealed and it's like the last book of the Bible? Revelation. 
It's a there it is a, it will have to be revealed. So right now, while we have some tough times trying to understand, oh dear God, I have sold my soul to the lions. And they, no, I'm just joking. Nobody's done that, huh? The Lion of Judah, Amen. Not Detroit Lions, but Lion of Judah, yeah. But sometimes it's hard because this suffering is very real. It's very powerful, and and in our feelings. And, and in our thoughts and in our desires, which is what the armor of God is always protecting us from, we have to take the word of God over those three things always. And the way we do it is by the F word. What's the F word, y'all? Chuck, what's the F word? Faith, yes. By faith. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't make sense to me. And I don't even want to, but by faith, I believe what God says. And right there, dude, you're going to get a tattoo with some scripture, man. Get this on the inside of your eyeballs. And I ain't advocating tattoo. I'm just saying, if you're going to get one, get this. So that when the suffering comes, you will know it's a little teeny thimble cup compared to the glory that will be revealed in us one day. Amen. Terry, I read something. You'll appreciate this. It says, uh, somebody made a quote and they said, the suffering of this life is kind of like one night in a bad motel. Have you ever had a bad, anybody have a bad night in a motel ever? One bad night. Do y'all like, like, oh, it's over, I quit, I'm giving up on life. No, is that what you do with a bad night in a motel? No, you're like, I'm getting out of here as soon as I wake up. <laughs> you know, I'm going on to the next, it's not your permanent home. This is not our home, amen. And if you don't know that, Today, that might be why you're here, so you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ to know that he loves you. And he, he, you came into this world as sinners. We've already learned from, from the book of Romans. You're born in as Adam, and as Adam, child of Adam, you are going to sin. You're not, you don't sin because you're a sinner. Or, I mean, you know, you don't, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. If you were a dog, you'd be barking. If you're a cat, you'd be meowing. But you come into the world as a sinner. That's your desire. So you are going to sin. And death comes by sin. But you don't have to stay a sinner. You have no choice about being born in this world as a sinner, but you have a choice of what family you stay in. And if God gives you the desire and ability to surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him, God's got to give you that ability. And if you get a desire to do that, step over and say, I want out of this family and I want to be in the family of God by being born again. All being born again is, is surrendering everything you know about yourself to everything you know about God at some point. And now you're married to Christ. Now you're in this new family where now he paid it all. You are guaranteed a home in heaven and what little bit of suffering you have, there'll be payday on it. There will be payday, and payday is going to be way better than any other retirement plan you are vested in right now. Guaranteed. And what you pay in is the suffering, the situations Christ puts you in on a daily basis. What do you want me to do now, God? I'm going to do it. What do you want me to do now, God? You do it. You're investing in your retirement plan. I don't fully know how all that works, but I know that's what he says. So in here, number one, that's where we kind of started. Now get into the new stuff. So watch this. Creation groans. Creation is growing. How many of y'all know that the world knows that this world is messed up? Right? Does the world not know? What if, all right. So again, let's, let's go here. And I'm not going to say a whole lot. Uh, in this, creation groans as it waits for glory. Creation is waiting for glory. All right. For those of you who are young and maybe weren't paying attention, how many of y'all remember when Al Gore, and that's all the political stuff I'm going to say today, maybe, but... <laughs> you know, how many of y'all remember when Al Gore lost to the Bush, one of the Bush, George Bush, somebody Bush, and it was by a hanging chad in Florida. Y'all remember the hanging chads in Florida? All right, he lost, he lost, he lost, he lost. It was amazing how they scout, they checked up the, all, all the ballots and everything. He lost, he lost, it was done, it was over with. Do you know what he came up with? Al Gore came up with, and he came up even with a YouTube video, came up with a movie, came up, and when he first said it, I'm like, you are nuts. This is crazy. Who's going to believe this? Now, however many years later, the whole world is sucked into it, and they believe it, and the data is not even relevant. Do you know what it was? How many of y'all know what it is he came out and said there was? Now, I'll give you a hint. It's global yeah, they've had to change the name a bunch of times already, but I'm just saying. He came out and said, we have global warming. It was like, 
No, dude, what we have is you lost an election and now you're trying to take oil money out of the Bush's hands and get it into some other energy hands. It's just a redistribution of wealth like everything always is. Except this. <laughs> Except scripture. And I'm like, who would be so silly to believe? And I'm sorry if you're sold in it. We can have a conversation later. But I'm just saying, I could not believe this was now the real deal. No, this is a little part. This world's dying, we're going to see. That's why we got to know the truth in all of this. And so in this whole, this whole started with a global warming, and, and now we have an entire green movement. Now, again, I, I know some of y'all have, Terry, you have, what do we call it? Electric Mustang. Dude, that would be a cool name for a guitar, man. The electric, you got electric Mustang. Terry has an electric Mustang, not because he thinks he is saving the world, correct? Yeah, it's not like, oh, I'm doing my part. I'm getting all the batteries mined. You know, it doesn't take nearly as much to make a battery for one of these as it does the and fossil fuel. Go do your research. There's no such thing. Anyways, whole nother thing. You're not doing it for that reason. Why, are you, why do you have an electric Mustang? And why does Chris make fun of you for having one? Never mind. I'm just, Chris has a, a fossil fuel Mustang. Boom, boom, boom. Right? But why do you have an electric Mustang? It's cheap to drive. Yes, if you've got one for a reason that makes sense. But you are not. I don't care how green you go. You are not saving this world. You are rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, as you will see. You're not saving this world. Now, I'm not saying that we destroy it. Because we are going to be accountable to God for what we do. I don't drain my oil and dump it over in the cove. Man, if anybody is upset about what's happened to this world, what's happened to my waterways, what's happened to my river, what's happened to my ocean, it's me. Ten short years ago, I could have taken you on paddle tours and shown you all kinds of wildlife because we had grass, but overpopulation, the water, oh no, it's Lake Okeechobee and Big Sugar. No, you don't believe that. And again, I'm not getting, it's the world, the world's falling apart. All that water that's coming out of Lake Okeechobee, it came from somewhere. It's coming from Orlando. It's coming from overpopulation. It comes down. They pump it in. It changes everything. Go to the marine aquarium and dump a couple five-gallon buckets of fresh, clean water and then see what happens to the animals. It doesn't matter if it's clean. You're changing salinity rates. You're changing the, the sediment. You're changing everything. But that's what's happening. Now imagine what I saw as a young child. I'm 62 years old, almost. Remember when you were little and you're like, oh, I'm eight and a half. Well, I'm 61 and a half. I'm just calling it 62 now. But man, imagine what I saw in Orlando before any of that came. Anybody has a right to be mad, to be upset, to be, to be frustrated with what's going on and make that the cause of my life. It would be me. But God gave me a higher cause. He gave me a higher, is it me squeezing this out of, oh yeah, dude. I've been changing scripture and I didn't even mean to. All right, hang on. <laughs> In this, again, I want you to understand when God put a curse on this world, it's going down. That's what this is about. Let's take a look in here. So it's like, consider the sufferings of this present time are nothing. They're a little teeny thimble cup compared to the glory that's to be revealed in us. And please don't go. And, and we were probably already cut off by the green police. I don't know. On, on Facebook. I don't know. Maybe. But it'll be on YouTube and Spotify. So we can get through that. But again, so creation groans. Look at this next verse. We already went there. Listen to this verse. Creation is groaning. Yeah. How many of y'all remember when you could walk in the river? Jack, you remember when you could walk in the river down by Midway, down by Walton, uh, power plant? Anyway, you could walk and there was turtle grass this high. It was coming out of the water. We're walking in turtle grass, crystal clear water. You had crustaceans stuck to your legs. Because that was the bottom of the food chain. But sure enough, the pollution coming out has killed all of that. We used to be able to go. Ashley, on her 16th birthday, said, I want to catch a gator trout. <laughs> well, all right. We dropped Emily off at gymnastics. We run down here to Little Mud. We went out to the, the, the uh, uh, mosquito compound. We got out. I put a little jig on. She threw it out. Oh, I got one. No, no. When you get one, you'll know you got one. That's grass. Just throw it out and just reel. Do I know? Just reel it. She's reeled lots of, and I saw the big one. I said, close your legs. She said, why? I said, just do it. Close your legs. Otherwise, it would have ran right through her legs. 
She caught a trout, 24-inch trout. Now, I mean, that was good. That was gator trout for her at that point. We could do that. And then we went, and we were not late to pick you up for gymnastics. Where were we, Emily? No, and here's Ashley with the big fish, right? No, you miss it. You're in gymnastics, man. We could do that. Now, what would it take to catch a gator trout now? I'm just saying. But it's not about that. There's got to be better priorities. Chuck, you remember there was one time, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, we were all, there was just a group of us out at the jetty. We're sitting there, and it was when they first started the pumping and stuff, with stuff we were seeing that coming and freshwater catfish coming out of Taylor Creek. And we were all there, and we were like, man, you, you know what? Chuck, he said, one day we're going to tell our kids we actually got in this water, and we didn't have to have hazmat suits on. Remember that? You were like, we didn't have to. I'll never forget that conversation because that's what it was. We saw it in its prime. But again, the suffering of this life is a little teeny tiny thimble compared to the glory. Can you imagine what the turtle grass is going to look like in heaven? <laughs> if there's turtle grass, can you imagine what everything's going to It's going to be beautiful. Can you imagine what it's going to be like on the new heaven and new earth? It's going to be more beautiful than anything I ever saw in my 60 years. So he goes on, and look what he says in Scripture, for the creation, that's the created things, all God created. Now, this is not the devil and his demons. They're not qualified in here, and it's not us as believers. We have another category that he throws in, and you'll see what happens with us at the end of this. For the creation, the rest of creation, the turtle grass, the river, the ocean, all of the critters in it, for the creation waits. What does it mean to wait? Hey, what does it mean to wait? I didn't even pick on you and ask you any questions last time. What does it mean to wait? What's your name again? Ben. Ben? Dude, that's his name, man. You, what a great name. Ben. He'll be Benjamin, and you'll be Ben. Uh, ben. Yeah. So, what was I asking you? Uh, yeah, what does it mean to wait? Yeah, do you get it right now? Do you, have you ever had to wait for things you wanted right now? Yeah. So wait usually means you have to, you're, it's not happening now. You, and, and in God's economy, you wait for his timing. So creation, I want you to think about this. Creation is waiting. Often you think creation is just up to, oh, what's this man-made and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Creation's intricate. And I ain't saying it's got a way to think and all that. The creation is waiting. You know how I know that? How do I know that, Tom? How do I know creation is waiting? Yeah, and Scripture tells me. So by faith, I have to believe creation is waiting. For the creation waits, look at this, with eager longing. What is, all right, here you go, Ben, one more. And I'll, I promise I'll leave you there and I'll pick on this guy over here for a minute. But eager longing. What does it mean to have eager longing? You're like, dude, I don't know. I never text eager longing. That would be EL in texting maybe. I don't know. If you ever get a text from Ben and it's EL, it's eager longing. But what is your, your, your longing eagerly for something? What does that mean? Yeah, so you're waiting, and it's not like, oh, who cares when it happens, whatever. It's like, dude, I want it, and I want it now, but it's not available. That is creation, waiting for you to be glorified, because when you get glorified, it will get glorified. And can you, again, why has the world jumped on to global warming, other than the media? Why have they jumped on to global warming? Why have they... The climate change and, and this, because they see the earth. Is the earth getting better or is the earth getting worse? It's getting worse. Trick question, is it man's fault or God's fault? Hang on to that for a minute. We're going to talk about that. Both, all right? But for creation waits with eager longing. This is a beautiful picture in the Greek. You know what this eager longing means? It, it, it means that if you had a fence... And, and you're waiting, you know, looking over the fence. It's, it means literally to be on your tiptoes, looking on your tiptoes, and you can't wait for it to happen. Go look it up in the Greek. It means being on your tiptoes, waiting for something to happen. And the minute it goes down, you're going over the fence to go get it. It's eagerly waiting, longing for the, what's the next word? A revelation, the revealing of the sons, not the son of God, the who? Sons, hey, Mike, who's, who's, who are the sons of God? Us, you, yeah, you don't know about them. They just profess to be, man. I'm just saying you, no, no, the sons of God are all of us that are believers. So creation is waiting for us to be revealed as the sons of God. 
I love what first, I think it's first John, what he says. He's in there and he's like, yeah, we know that we're the sons of God. And it don't really look like it right now. How many of you ever looked in the mirror and said, it don't really look like a son of God right now. But one day when he comes, we'll be just like him. And that will be the revelation of us as the sons of God. There will be no doubt we will be like him. Anybody looking forward to that day? That is perfection. So not only, how many of y'all are waiting eagerly over the fence on tiptoe saying, please, please, let me be a son of God. Let me have the full revelation of it. We're waiting, but creation is waiting with us because the moment we get changed, creation gets changed. There's going to be a new heaven and new earth. There's going to be a millennial kingdom, a thousand years of a perfect earth the way it was at Eden. And you want to read about that? Read it. It's in uh, Isaiah chapter 11. Oh my goodness. I'll give you a brief thing. Isaiah 11 is great. All of Isaiah 11, that's the one where it says, yeah, man, there's going to be a time where a kid's going to lay at the den of a cobra and not be hurt. Everything's going to get along. Everything. And that's what the Jews were looking for with the first coming of the Messiah. But it wasn't time. He was a suffering servant who had to come and pay for sins first. Later, we know that next there's going to be some, there's going to be a rapture. Us as believers are going to get snatched out and we're gone. And when we're gone, we're going to have a wedding. If you're a pre-trib like me, pre-tribulation, you believe we have a seven-year wedding feast. If you're mid-trib, well, you're just going to miss the first three weeks or three, three years of the party. But I'm just, no, if you're mid-trib, it doesn't matter. You make, but the bottom line is we're pro-trib. We know that we're going to go to heaven during the tribulation and there is going to be and, 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 and there's going to be a wedding feast for us, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But we know where in the earth he is going to systematically for seven years destroy this earth. That you can see in Revelation. He destroys the economic system. He destroys the landscape. He destroys every part of this earth. Only at the end of that seven years and putting people in their appropriate places, that's heaven and hell, or his side or the other side. Bottom line is after that, there's going to be a thousand year millennial kingdom. The Jews have been looking forward to it forever. It's in scripture. Go read uh, Isaiah chapter 11 this afternoon and read a little bit about it. But it's all over the Old Testament. And during that time, what are we as believers going to be doing? We're going to be reigning with who? With Christ. Reigning on a brand new heaven and a brand... Man, Scott, think of the best fishing trip you have ever had, brother. Brand new heaven, a brand new earth. Is it going to be better than that? Than your best fishing trip ever? And you're probably going to be the guide in charge. Dude, I'm just, I don't know. I don't really know all what's going on. But I know that we reign with him. We serve him. And we have a glorified supernatural body. And we're helping minister on his behalf to the people who don't, who are there. On a perfect earth for a thousand years. This suffering that you got right now, it's a little thimble cup. That's why I want you to keep that thimble cup. Because I know you go to work tomorrow and you'll be like, dude, my thimble cup runneth over. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got, I got a whole stack of them thimble cups. No, you don't. You got a thimble cup. You just got to keep it in perspective as to reality that the glory that's going to be revealed in us later is going to be naked like a thimble cup here. So he goes on and said, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God because when we get revealed as the sons of God, when we're made perfect, earth is made perfect for that millennial kingdom for a thousand years. Is there anybody here, Gary? You know anybody who's a thousand years old? Dude, you're only 75, right? That's what? Oh, 76. That's right. Happy birthday, brother. Seven. We missed on that. There we go. 76, but not a mil, a thousand perfection for a thousand years. What are you laughing about, Charlie Burley? You ain't no spring chicken no more. Neither am I. No, I'm just saying. A thousand years of perfection. Can you wait? Dude, can you wait? Can you wait? If God, if you're God's child, you can wait because you know it applies to you. Man, that's what we've got to look forward to. This is what we're living through. And by the way, when you get married to Christ, does Christ help you through this? Yes. He sets you up, he empowers you, and he makes you more like him through all of this. And at the same time, you lose your love for this world. 
Wouldn't it be horrible to fall in love with this world and one day it's going to be destroyed? Everything you love is destroyed. If you invest in the right thing, everything you love will be forever. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Um, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And that in hope goes into the next verse, but we'll stay right here. So he says, for the creation was subjected to futility. This word futility, the same one that Solomon uses in Ecclesiastes as, um, as uh, vanity, as worthlessness, as meaning it never really just pans out. You get joy out of it, but it doesn't last. You know, hey, Scott, talking about fishing, man. Oh, you know, uh, how many fishermen we got in here? Fishermen. How many y'all, dude, when you hook up that big old daddy snook, man, what are you thinking, Jack? Woo, is that not a good feeling? Would it be cool if you could have that feeling forever? But how long does that feeling last? Well, it depends on what tackle you got, right? But <laughs> yeah, it's temporary. Yeah, when it's over, it's temporary. And, and, and yeah, you want to go do it again and again. And how is it when all of a sudden you don't catch any? That's frustrating. And then you catch again, it's, it's temporary. That's the joy this world has. There's joy for a season. But you understand what you have for eternity is forever, not this. So creation was subjected to this futility of, yeah, there's some joy in it. I mean, we go see a sunset. Oh, what's the joy? Because we know who made it. You see a rainbow. What's the joy? Because we know who made it. We catch a fish. It's like, woo, yeah, I love, you know, we get a good wave. You know, you got me pictures of you on some good waves, Chuck. A couple. You got memories for those? But can you actually, reliving the memories, is it the exact same feeling as it was when you were in there? Not even close. It's temporary. It's temporary. Creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly. Creation didn't say, oh, we want to be messed up just like man. <laughs> Creation didn't choose to sin. But look at this. But because of him who subjected it in hope. So creation was subjected to futility. Let me ask you a question. Who cursed the earth? Who cursed the earth? When man sinned, man had, man had, he said, man, you can have uh, anything in this whole garden, in this whole world, all of it except one thing. And what was the one thing he couldn't have? The fruit off the tree of what? Knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so they couldn't have it. So could they process good prior to eating off that fruit? They were innocent. They could process good. What did they gain in eating the fruit of good and evil? Evil. Now they had to make a choice. Now it was, ooh, there's Ashley Lane. Well, you know what? She can sing, but I don't know about her, man. It's like, I got to figure out if she's good or bad. You guys, you guys are like visiting. I got to figure out, are y'all good or bad? I don't know. You told a good story earlier, but man, you know, Satan's name is Deceiver. No, I'm just joking. That's not... Um, no, but listen, how many of you have ever had to make a choice between good and evil and you thought evil was good? You made a mistake. And it's been going on since Adam and Eve. They weren't equipped to know and have to make a choice on good and evil. They already had a relationship with God and that was good. All they gained by listening to Satan was evil. So now when you have a choice, when you make the wrong choice, the consequences is sin. Stuff dies. How many bad choices have been made since Adam and Eve? How many bad choices have you made in your lifetime? Never mind Adam and Eve. You've added to the destruction. So what God said, now we don't have all of this bad simply because of our bad choices. It's not just simply because of our bad choices that we have all of this. God already knew the result of all of our bad choices. And God said, you know what? I'm going to curse this earth. He cursed it. He's the one who subjected creation to the curse. Now, is the curse going to last forever? Andy, will this earth always be cursed? No. This earth, he's going to destroy. And by the way, this is what's so interesting about global warming. <laughs> global warming. Hey, Trent, how is God going to destroy the earth according to Peter? Yeah, they got a clue. <laughs> they got a clue. Just the wrong way. No, God ain't waiting. It's not. God's going to destroy this earth with his global warming. It's gone. Everything in this is gone. That's why he says, don't love it. Terry, 
Oh, that was a beautiful white Jeep you got you drove in. You love that Jeep, right? But not forever. If it got taken away, it's like you might <laughs> suffering. It's going to fit in this cup. But it's not. Your life isn't based on it. That's not your God. That's what he says in this world. We enjoy it. We use it for his glory, but don't make it your God. It's going to go away. He said the earth was going to be cursed. So if God says the earth is going to be cursed, is the earth going to get better or worse, Wendy? It's going to get worse. Is there anything you can do about it? Can you fight God? And can we come up with such great ecological plans that we can foil God's plan to create, to curse this earth and destroy it? So you mean spending billions upon billions of dollars? No, I'm just saying that we cannot. You're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Some deck chairs need to be rearranged. There's things. I am not an advocate of destroying this earth. I'm going to, in fact, in creation, who did God say was responsible for taking care of this earth? We are. We're going to be held accountable in our own little world for what we do in this world and how we take care of things. We're going to be held accountable to him in that. And we can do it for his glory. But he said this earth has a shelf life. And yes, he's going to use Satan, this world system of greed, and he's going to use your flesh in the flesh of law and the, in the old man of lost people. He's going to use that to destroy this earth. But bottom line, it's going to be destroyed. Does it make sense to invest in it? You want to invest in this or do you want to invest in that? So creation was subjected to futility, not willingly because of him who subjected it in hope. Did that sound, Andrew, did that sound very hopeful, what I was just talking about? No, that's people don't preach on this stuff. Like, you ain't going to get no crowds with this. Well, no, probably not, but this is the word of God. This is, that doesn't sound hopeful, does it, Steve? Until you look at the next part. Look at the next part here. It says in verse 21 that the creation itself will be what? Does that sound hopeful? To be set free? If you were captive and it was destined that this is what's going to happen to you. I told you I wasn't going to pick on you more, but I just lied. But anyways, if you're going to be set free, is that hopeful? Hey, you're, gonna, you're going to be set free if your mom's got you in captivity. And, and she's not letting you out till a certain time. Do you have hope? Yeah. But is it realized right now, oh, I love being in captivity knowing I'm going to be set free one day. How about that, Marley? She's going to let me out one day. I'm going to free to. That's what we're talking about. The world's captive now, but God has given it hope that if one day it will be set free. One day we will have a brand new earth and a brand new heaven. It's all going to be brand new. And that means it's better than even when Gary knew this ocean. Man, you saw some stuff here, didn't you? Do you remember we could just lay there at night and phosphorescence rolled in, dude? It was cool. Yeah. And it wasn't no acid trip either, was it? It was phosphorescent. I'm just saying. No, it was, we had stuff, dude, that you could, we can't even explain to you. You think Florida's cool, Snowbird? You should have seen it before y'all got here. I'm just, no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm not saying y'all messed it up. But we love our Snowbirds. It's because of that we get to love people and have relationships with people all over the world. You got to know that. But I'm just saying, before everybody got here, you should have seen it, man. Oh, but it's nothing compared to what it's going to be. That's going to be perfection. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Corruption is the word for rust. Bruce Lee, where's Bruce Lee? Did he already leave us? See downstairs with the girls now hanging out. Is he down there? Bruce Lee, you up here? No. Oh, he's downstairs. I knew he would end up down there. But tools, man. Bob, you leave your tools out. Okay? You don't do that, do you? <laughs> you leave your tools out. Immediately, you come to eat lunch, leave your tools out, come in. Are your tools rusted? No. What if you leave them out for a whole day? What if you leave them out for a week? What if you leave them out in the summertime for a month? Will they be rusted? Eventually, and will they be worth anything? No. They will be corrupted, and they will be of no value and no use. That's what corruption means. That's what's happening to this earth. If the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the what? The freedom of what? Look at that, everybody. Oh, thank you, all three of you. Hang on, come on, man. Let's go. The freedom of what? Glory. Man, glory. Y'all understand what glory is? Glory is godlikeness. 
This earth is going to be godlike. You see, you think the sunsets and the and the rainbows you see are beautiful now. You just wait. It will be the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So when we get glorified, this earth will get glorified also. And creation knows that. And is waiting for it, it says. How does it know? How does it process? I don't know. I'm just saying this is what created, this is what the word of God said. For we know. That the whole creation has been what? Groaning. Earth has been groaning. Man, is the earth groaning? Does the world know the earth is groaning? Yeah, the whole world. What does groaning mean? Who's a good groaner? Point to a person who's a good groaner. So, how, oh, Anne shuts her head because she knows Bob's a good groaner. I'm just looking at, yeah, some of y'all know good groaners, don't you? All right, so all of you who are good groaners, give me a good groan on the count of three. You guys ready? One, two, three. Yeah, you guys are good at that. Some of you are better than others. <laughs> like, yeah, groaning. It's just like, oh, not again. Oh, man. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So let me ask you a question. In, 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 according to this, we had groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So man, things are getting closer together as far as destruction on this planet where even the world can see it. It's like childbirth pain, child pain. It, it's getting closer and it's getting more prevalent and where you can't deny it. It's happening, happening, happening. They've been groaning together in the pains of Childbirth. How many of y'all seen that? It's, it's getting worse, worse right? Every, I mean, at least by technology, we really see it now. We think it's getting worse. Yeah, it's stuff's in cycles, but we know the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Christ followers, we're going to see super quick as we wait for glory. Christ followers groan as we wait for glory. Look at this next part. So creation has been groaning. And groaning. Because there's no solution except for children of God to be glorified. And then God glorifies the earth in creating a new heaven and a new earth. Later, there will be a new heaven and a new earth also at the end of all that. And you can read about that in the end of Revelation. And it doesn't take a scholar to see that. Look at verse 23, we're almost done. And only the creation is groaning, but we ourselves who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So let me look at this really quickly. So how many of you since you have been born again have had a come to Jesus? You have had peace, man. How many of y'all, since you've been born again, since you've given your life to Christ, have just had, oh, this is awesome. How many of you have had an awesome time with God Almighty through the Holy Spirit? Anybody? Okay. Yeah, I'm not talking about some sensation. I'm just talking about, like, I just never forget when Bob got saved. What'd you tell me? My friends think I had a nervous breakdown. They think I'm just like smoking weed all the time. They think I'm just like, I, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Not that you don't care about anything, but it's like, I don't care about all the problems I have because I have peace from God, which is a fruit of the Spirit. And so when you have that, does it last forever? Chuck? What's the most favorite thing you have in coming to Christ? What is it? Peace. Do you have it 24-7, 365 days a year? No. No. And so when you find that you don't have peace, what do you do? You groan. Have you ever groaned? Have you lived in that peace thinking, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world. But then all of a sudden you're like, How? dude, I just got sucked into this again. And all of a sudden, on the count of three, what do we do? One, two, three. Oh. And if you want, you can add a high five to your face. Oh. Right? Have you ever grown that hard where you're like, oh, no, man. That's what he's talking about. Not, I can't even see straight now. Hang on. Hold on. All right. Let me get this right. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, believers, who know we have a home in heaven, know that this is the suffering of this life is only a little thimble cup. It's like one bad night in a hotel compared to the entire ocean. 
We ourselves who have that, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we, the Holy Spirit is a down payment. And when we're walking in the Spirit, what do you want me to do now, God? And doing it, what do you want me to do now, God? Anybody been there? And life's cranking. It's like, woohoo, I don't even care what problems are here because God's got it in charge. He's almighty, he's sovereign. We're there. Man, when we're walking in that, we're like, yes, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden, it's temporary. Because of something that happens, right? It makes us groan because we know in eternity it's not going to be temporary. In eternity, we're going to be walking in God's presence, in His glory, taking in His full glory forever. Is that not, yeah, is that not cool, Benjamin? Benjamin? Not Ben, but Benjamin? Yeah. Dude. We groan inwardly. (laughs) Paul, how did Paul groan inwardly? He said, man, I just did what I didn't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. And who's going to rescue me from this wretched man? Well, Christ already did, but I don't get to live in that full time yet. That's when he says we wait eagerly for adoption. Wait a minute, he already said we're adopted. But the adoption hasn't been fully realized until we actually can experience everything the heir of Christ will have. And we don't have all of that now. We wait. That's why he says we wait, because we had it all now. Would we be waiting? No. We wait eagerly for this adoption to come to total fruition. We have the down payment of it when we walk in the spirit, but we're waiting to it to come to full fruition as sons. The redemption of our bodies. How many of you would right now, John, are you living in a redeemed body? Oh, and I've seen you without a shirt on. My goodness, it's like, I don't even want to stand next to you. I'm just, no, No, I'm just saying, dude, it's not that outward body, it's that inward body. We have, we don't have these redeemed bodies yet. We are, like I said, John said, man, we are the sons of God, but it don't look like it yet. How many of y'all would look in the mirror and say, yep, it don't look like it yet. But we know by faith it's coming. And we own it and we have it. And that's why we are eagerly waiting. And creation is eagerly waiting. Wrapping this up, because I know it's time. This is where God had me wrap it up. (laughs) Otherwise, we'd be going on for hours, wouldn't we, Jack? You know me, right? This is where God has to stop. And Terry, it's only 1104, man. I'm going to look on Spotify, and if you're like, shut up and just keep going. You're killing time right now. No. <laughs> That's just who I am. All right. Look at this. For sure, there's groaning. There's groaning. We're going to have reasons to groan. He says there's going to be, especially the more you are like Christ, the more opportunities you'll have to groan because the more persecution you will experience. But there's other groaning. God does bring suffering into our life. Again, so that it causes us to become more like him. It it pushes us towards him. He gives us stuff. And again, in Hebrews, what does it say? It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. But you got to believe he is who he says he is. And he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So we don't go out looking for situations. How many of y'all prayed this morning? Kathy, did you pray? Dear God, give me turmoil and tribulation. And give me something that's so tough that I can't do anything about and I have to have faith that I don't even have. Give it to me. How many of y'all pray for that today? I hope some of you do. Well, man, that's what's the problem. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Seriously. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So to please him, he has to give us situations that require faith. So you look at this. Take this cup and when, it's, when you're looking at your cup, run a thing over. Run a thing. That's my word. Running over with, with, with turmoil, with, with tribulation, man. Understand, he's giving you an opportunity to please him. Chrissy, you want a couple more to put on your desk, to put in, you know, everywhere you're at? Yeah. So you can remember, this is what God's doing. Give us an opportunity to please him. We just have to believe he is who he says he is. And he rewards those who diligently seek him. So for sure, there's groaning while we wait for glory. Amen? Anybody have a groan-free life? Are y'all grown up? (laughs) Grown out? (laughs) No, not yet. But make no mistake, 
future glory far outweighs present suffering for Christ. That's what he tells us. Keep that in mind. Non-believers, I'm just going to say, someone who is not a believer in Christ, I'm not judging because I was not a believer in Christ until he gave me the desire and ability to become one. And I just said, I'm tired of being my own boss. I'm tired of running things. I'm bad at this. I need help. I need someone to take me to heaven when I die because, man, there ain't no way I can earn this. I, I, need, I need a Savior. I need help. And I gave my life to him. June 27, 1988 was when it kind of made it official at that point. And all of a sudden, now my suffering has a purpose. Guess what? I'm suffering now for him. Now I'm suffering to become more like him. Now I'm suffering for a reason. I, Christians have a reason for suffering. It's for God's glory and our good. And you put in how you do that in that. But a non-believer has no purpose for suffering. Except getting through it. There's no, there's no purpose. It's like I'm going to suffer and then I'll be happy when things are good. And then things are going to get bad again. And then things are going to get good. There's no purpose. But when you give your life to Christ, now you can be sure that it is all by God's design. Because He loves you. You love Him. And it's going to make you more like Him and bring glory. So if you're not a believer, and God's given you a desire at this point in your life to surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about Him, which might not be much, just do it. Anybody here ever do it and wish they hadn't? Can I see your hands? Eric, anybody? Would you raise your hand and say, no, dude, that was the worst mistake I ever made, and now I'm eternally in it, and I can't get out? Anybody? No. How many of you all would put your hand up and say, I wish I did it sooner? Yeah, that's just for real. So again, you can only do it when God gives you the desire to do it. And I want to encourage you to do that. But as a believer... How many are grateful for this little cup and what it represents? And to know that all the suffering we go through on this planet is nothing compared to the glory that we're going to be having revealed to us, in us, and through us because we belong to Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus because that's the sacrifice I need to know that you're listening to this prayer. I think of the Old Testament priests who come in once a year into the Holy of Holies to come to the ark and make atonement for the people and be swinging incense, hoping that you would accept the prayers of the people, the sacrifice of the people. But evidently, he didn't always do it because history tells us there were bells on his garment and he had a rope around his ankle. And if he went in and the bells stopped ringing and they thought he was dead, nobody wanted to go in after him. So they yanked him out. Father, it's not like that. When you died on the cross, Christ, that veil that was probably 18 inches thick in the tabernacle that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, it was ripped from the top to bottom telling us that because of what Christ did on the cross, we now could have access to you. And we are told by the Apostle Paul that because of that access, we can now come boldly to the throne of God anytime we need. Christ, I'm grateful that you covered my sins. I'm grateful that you did something that I could never do. And then out of love, you gave me a desire to switch families, to get out of the Adams family, to get into your family. And you've given me faith to know that I can believe this and trust it. Father, I pray you would take each one of us in the amount of faith we have in what was preached in the Word. Not what I preached, but what was in the Word. And Father, what little bit of faith we have would grow. Because you tell us if we use it, we get more. If we don't use it, we lose it because this world system dominates our thing. So Father, grow our faith. Help us to be encouraged as we go through this world to realize that the suffering is by your design because on our own, we'd sit on the spiritual couch and eat spiritual bonbons and never do anything hard. But you put situations in our life to cause us to grow. We either have to choose our way or your way. And when we choose your way, we have to depend on your power to actually watch it happen and come to fruition. And we see your power make things work. 
gives us faith that we can't deny. And you get glorified because everybody knows it was you that did it. So Father, I pray that whatever measure of faith anyone has in here today, you would take it. And because of the scripture, you would cause it to grow. They would have a relationship with you better than the one that came in. Father, thank you for this promise. Help us to truly understand and not miss the point of the suffering in this life. And Father, we look so forward to the day when there's no more sickness, no more sin, no more suffering, no more Savior. But we're going to live in perfection forever. And thank you for giving me the ability to believe it. And I pray for this thing in Jesus' name. Amen.